Hello and uh, welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I'm Charlie, joined by Reed. Reed, the uh, the Timbers won a playoff game today. How great is that? That was an awesome game. Sebastian Blanco, absolute laser. Uh, that was that was pretty sick. That definitely lift that along with Jay Herb's big win lifted my spirits. I can't lie, my spirits are still pretty. Um, crushed. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, lifted them, lift them slightly. Didn't lift them to a. Uh, I'm uh, yeah, still very low. Zero to a point one, I would say. Pretty much the only result that went the way I wanted to on Saturday was um, UW losing to Colorado. So mm. I wish I had watched that game so that we could talk about it. But uh, instead, unfortunately, we have to talk about a different Pac-12 North team visiting a different mountain team i guess it's the south whatever they're in the mountains uh yeah utah 38 oregon 7 and was it that close i don't really know (laughs) depending on uh which advanced stats you look at it it you know the game was over by halftime i think it's safe to say uh reed who is to blame for this atrocity that we saw like who who's the first level of blame Oh, Jesus. I don't I don't even know how to answer that question. Um, I think that people go to the coaching staff immediately when it's just such a overall, uh, for lack of a better word, disaster, I guess. Yes, disaster is a good word for it. Um, so you can start there if you want to. I think blame goes around, though. Uh, none of these units played particularly well. Um, we'll get into it, but I, I don't know if I could really pinpoint one, one thing. What about you? I mean, I'm kind of the same thing. Obviously coaching staff has to be first with an embarrassment like this. Um, I see a lot of people blaming AB don't necessarily think, I mean, yeah, he didn't play well at all, but I don't know if you can call it his fault first. Like if that's the first thing you notice about how bad this game was, then like, I don't really know what to tell you. I think it's just like the offensive line for me, maybe the defensive line. Cause they were on the field first. Um, or just the front seven in general, just the defense in general, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I kind of want to blame myself for thinking that we would win this game. And I mean, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. We, we both kind of thought Oregon was going to win this maybe even convincingly. Um, your pod with Greg was great. And if anything, it actually like convinced me more so that that we were gonna win. Um, I, I just I have no words for that atrocity that was on display on Saturday. Um, yeah, I think I would say just kind of rehashing some of our pregame thoughts. Um, obviously, you know, there's no there's no I told you so moments really. I mean, like you said, we both we both picked Oregon to win. Um, but just trying to make sense of it, I think, I mean, number one, you know, we, we talked about a bit, the, the home field advantage and how much of a factor that could be. Um, I think it's, it's tough to overstate the impact of that in this game. Uh, yes, obviously Oregon didn't execute, but I, I put this in the notes and I think it's, it's worth saying that this was a program defining night for Utah, um, they, you know, talking to some of their fans afterwards, um, 
it's you know pretty immediately they're like yeah this this might be the biggest regular season win in utah program history um and to that effect i think it's it's a big credit to them because um from from pretty early on it was clear that absolutely everyone involved in the utah program from the fans uh all every single person rice eccles to the coaching staff to obviously the players on the field treated this game very seriously Um, (laughs) and they put every single bit of focus and effort into executing well into asserting themselves on the lines uh, and that's exactly what they did i think that uh, when you talk about was it closer or not um, at, at halftime i certainly felt like oregon didn't necessarily um wasn't being dominated 28 nothing on a per play basis exactly i think that utah was the better team and deserved to be up you know two two scores maybe um but uh it felt like not only was utah dominating you know by two scores per play but then every single break whether it's the two missed field goals or the punt return for a touchdown, those big plays um, they got. And and that's not necessarily to pin that on luck, but just to say in the big moments, they were the team that came through. Um, so, you know, this is this is why the sport's special, I think, why, you, why it's hard to win in November because you carry that target on your back as the number three team. Um, and... I mean, it, it reminded me of a lot of games in the past. That was that was one of the places I want to go first. You know, where have we been? Uh, when have we felt like this before? Um, I'll give the four games that I remi- were reminded of for different reasons, and you kind of tell me where you mm-hmm. where you thought about those. Um, first one that came up immediately was 2013 Stanford. Uh, it's a different thing because those were two really highly matched teams, but. Uh, for people who remember, that's a game we went down, I think, 26 nothing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was similar for me because it was a game where I was like, I, I remember um, I was a bit younger. I was a middle schooler or something, and that was one of the first games, or not the first ones, but it was a game I was super excited for. Like, I think it was a top five matchup. I had yeah. anticipated it so much, and you come out on the road, and Oregon was completely flat that game. Uh, just felt like he never had a chance um, yeah. after the first quarter, pretty much. Uh, the other one, 2018 Wazoo, I think from a fan base, opposing fan base perspective, from how much it meant to Utah, uh, I think that was the most similar to me, probably. Um, for those who don't remember, you come off the big win against Washington uh, at home in 2018. You travel to Pullman. They get game day for the first time. It's a signature game for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Cougs basically point to as their biggest win in program history now. Um, God, and they go up twenty eight nothing or twenty seven nothing in that game, I think, with Gardner Minshew uh, at quarterback. Um, Borgie's still there at that time. Uh, other ones, twenty nineteen ASU, the one we drew parallels to all week. Um, same position, mm-hmm. same implications, exact same implications for playoffs and staff. So that, there's that one. Um, and then Iowa State, uh, similar la- Iowa State last year, obviously, to end the season in the Fiesta. Similar just in terms of um, playing a team that's not as highly rated as you, but executes really well and kind of imposes their will on you. 
and you never really wake up or settle in and you have some special teams disasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so those are my four. What, what do you think of that list? I think it's pretty good. I would disagree a little bit on Iowa State, but mostly just because I had already scrapped that entire season in my mind. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> as long as we had won the Pac-12 title, like we said it on the pod at that time. Like that's all I really care about. Like, sure, it'd be nice for perception if we won the Fiesta Bowl, but like I'm not gonna put a lot of stock in it. Yeah. Uh, 18 Wazoo and 19 ASU are both great shouts. I think I like the Wazoo one the best out of all of these. Um, yeah, me too. Different part of the season. I, we're both complete idiots for like drawing comparisons to ASU all week and then like disregarding it as an option. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you notice how we did that? Like, <laughs> I yeah. talk, mostly me. Like, I talked it up the entire damn episode uh, last week and then proceeded to say we would smack Utah. But um, 2013 Stanford, I can also see, although. Sim, like in both that Stanford and Arizona State game, and maybe Wazoo, I don't remember it as well. We at least like fought back in those games. You know, we at least had some punches yeah. at the end that like made it a little closer than maybe it should have been. But God, in mm. this game, man, I mean, yeah, we had the one touchdown to Devin Williams, but like, I think I I won't dive into any stats or anything just yet. But like, I want to ask when when you thought this game was over because. For me, it's it's not as early as the blocked field goal. I don't know if it's as late as the Covey touchdown to end the half. I think Utah's third touchdown is just about the sweet spot for me of like, okay, like, you know, my expectations had been calibrated at the end of the half to like, okay, go down, like, field goal gets blocked, whatever. Take the two-score L and just take it into halftime, reset, We've overcome way more than two score deficits, like in the past. You know, we can we can reset this. 14-0 was the UCLA score. Like we had a two score deficit in Washington. Both those games were on the road this season. Like I think we can come back from that. But that third touchdown drive by Utah was just absolutely demoralizing for me. So for you, what was the moment where you thought, like, shit, this is over, over? Yeah, I think. Um... I mean, I think the the punt return is the moment where it's like fully, completely, 100 million percent dead. Um, because I think there was still, I felt like, um, I felt pretty good, you know, just because we've seen it from this team about, you know, getting the ball at half. I kind of thought we were going to put together a drive, which we ended up doing. Um, and so... If you're if you're down twenty one nothing at that point and you cut it to twenty one seven, it was kind of like I think that you know there's a world in which that kind of sucks the air out and it goes from like a halftime celebration to them to like oh shit wait we're in a two possession game now yeah and there's a chance there um, but I mean in general I think that when my hope was dying the most was through the entire length of that third touchdown drive for Utah. Um, because I not only felt like, um, okay, we're down 21, nothing, but it was also, uh, this just, it doesn't look like a recipe to flip a switch and start dominating them, Mm -hmm. you know, like, (laughs) uh, so I think that drive was a real tough one. I mean, there was a, a small part of me was, you know, 
Utah was flirting with disaster a little bit on special teams and with some of their snaps all night. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a part of me was like, hey, look, it's a really bad spot, but given what I've been through as an Oregon fan, I think of like what happened with the Stanford snap over the head uh, in 2018 for Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's like, if we get a moment like that, um, or even, you know, with Utah, the Kalen Clay drop, if we get one just like, completely ridiculous you know one in a hundred random fluke play pick six at the goal line something and it's like a 14-7 game like there is a chance of a a miracle chance of a get out of jail free card that puts you back in the game when you're before they put in that third touchdown um obviously that didn't happen instead of Um, their way yeah but yeah exactly um yeah, I know. If, if if even if you just house the the kickoff return, you know, after that touchdown, maybe or something pretty equivalent to what Covey does on the punt return, it flips a lot. But um, but ultimately, it didn't really matter because you come out in the second half, and we'll get into it more. But you come out in the second half, and it's pretty clear that all of the problems from the first half were not like just getting settled into the game mm-hmm. or whatever it's like that's just who these teams were um it's interesting the threat of a of a rematch kind of looming out there and obviously that's that's a ways ahead I, I don't know how it will shake out in a rematch necessarily but it was clear very clear tonight who the better team was and it was pretty obvious that that wasn't going to change throughout the course so that's kind of what killed my comeback hopes the most yeah i agree i mean any chance we had to get back in the game, like you said, we just kind of squandered it. Uh, now I'll dive into some stats that kind of illustrate this. Like um, Utah on third down, 11 or 14. The Ducks were 6 of 14. And I think they started the game like 0 for 5 or like 1 for 6 or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Rushing yeah. yards, like usually total yards isn't always a great indicator, but like 208 to 63 on the ground, like that'll tell you the story. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, it's- I mean, a few a few key things that we did highlight going into this game, uh, we happened to horribly mispredict which way they would go, but home field, I already mentioned a, a decent bit, uh, but talked about third downs i mean that that's been an issue for oregon on both sides of the ball can't do anything when you get behind the sticks on offense obviously horrible story of that of of saturday night um Mm -hmm. and then defense could not get off the field and that's the stat you're talking about um and it's funny and other did it on the second third down we faced too on the first drive yeah yeah um yeah, and otherwise, I mean, the the other thing was just uh, in order. I was I was tweeting this pregame, especially as we heard the news about the depleted receiver core and all of that. It was like, how do you get out of these tough positions on the road? How do you survive these games? You lean on a big advantage in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, talking to Greg, one point that I think we both kind of agreed on was. Uh, some people were predicting that this was going to be a really close game. And I kind of, we kind of both said, um, we thought, you know, I think what's going to happen is one of these two teams is going to get a push or going to be, you know, if Oregon's able to establish a push on the interior, 
Oregon's probably going to be able to ride this thing to a 10 point win or something. And we both thought Oregon would be able to do that. Um, but I, I even said, you know, I kind of think if it doesn't happen, uh, Utah has a, has a chance to, to win this game by, by a bit. Um, and obviously it was even more slanted towards Utah than that. But I think it was kind of one of those tests where it's like, Hey, if you can't establish that push on the road, not only is it going to be a close game, but you have a chance to lose pretty bad, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is what happened. Yeah. I, I go back to the third downs real quick. It wasn't just that <clears throat> they were converting third downs. And it wasn't even just that they were getting third and short conversions because we've seen that uh, in other games as well. But it was the third and nine where you get a 10-yard touchdown run. There is no <laughs> world in which you should yeah. be allowing that. It was the third and 10 in which Kayvon's offside and they get another play and they run it for eight yards on third and five. Uh, it was the, well, I mean, the third and goal was, I mean, again, that that was the third touchdown that kind of, made the game feel like it was over um i'm trying to find some more examples here yeah I, I, uh, another third and three or uh, you know in the same drive uh in the third quarter third and four run for six yards third and three run for three yards we were getting dominated in the trenches all night yeah <laughs> yeah and that was kind of the thing like you said that we were leaning on as duck fans to be like okay as long as we win this battle like it's at least going to be a close game. We know Ryzen can escape the pocket. That was the other thing. I mean, early in the game, like, he didn't even have to do it that much by the second half. Like, he was just running yeah. outside. It's like it was planned for him to scramble on those first couple mm-hmm. runs and the first couple drives. Like, just brutal, man. Absolutely brutal. And then, I mean, something Mario pointed out that I think is important for people to understand is, like, Oregon... Uh, it wasn't that the defense was terrible or anything necessarily. I mean, yeah, they, you know, got moved around quite a bit, but uh, they didn't have a chance to recover. Like, <laughs> if your offense yeah. goes three and out, it doesn't really matter how well your defense is playing. Like, if you're giving them enough shots to score, like, they're going to score. Um, something else I would like to complain about as well. I mean, <laughs> dude, the... <laughs> The offense just had no sense of urgency throughout the entire game. It's like we were the ones trying to kill clock. Like, even yeah. I under, like even in the first half, if you are down 21-0, you got to have a little bit more urgency than letting the clock run down to, like, five seconds every time. Uh, in yeah. the second half, 28, you know, we're down three, four scores. You cannot let the play clock run down that low. And then Utah gets the ball back, and the formula is simple at that point. They don't need rising to do anything, especially when they know they can move us on the ground. They just got to keep plowing. Like it was embarrassing, man, all around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hundred um, percent. I think you know you zoom in on some of the swing plays that shifted this thing, and and maybe we won't do quite the same kind of full drive by drive recap because yeah. I think. <laughs> That would be just agonizing for the two of us as well as the listeners. Um, but I think you mentioned those third downs early. Um, and if there's a sliver of, of hope for what Oregon could do in a potential rematch, um, it is that uh, he, you just switch a few plays here. Um, I mean, you know, again, that, that third and nine, you really felt like 
uh, on their first touchdown drive again. Mm-hmm. Um, really felt like Oregon, you know, should get off the field here. Um, is in a good position to get off the field here, I should say, and force a field goal. Uh, and it, and if they do that, you know, they put together a pretty solid drive on the on the drive back down and have a chance, you know, to to put a field goal that would have tied it. Right? Again, we're you know we're going into a a weird hypothetical here that is is obviously flawed for a number of reasons. But you mentioned the third down for. Um, for Utah as well, uh, that where Kayvon goes out off sides with, with a, a little under seven minutes left in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Kayvon's offside. It didn't really seem like, from my recollection of that play, like they thought it was a free play uh, necessarily. No, no. And Oregon does does get an incompletion on it. Uh, and Kayvon doesn't like affect the play or have a crazy advantage because he's offsides in my mind. So it, it's like if Kayvon doesn't make that mistake, uh, it's pretty much a field goal there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whatever it is, I mean, it, it, it feels like more times than not, uh, even if you give Utah one of those touchdowns um, and Oregon makes one of the two field goals, that they have, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a 10-3 game or something. And then Utah puts their big, impressive drive together before half. And it's like a 17-3 game. Um, I think maybe that's a more kind of... Well, at least you're on the board uh, at that point. You've, you've told yourself yeah. that you can't I mean, you're in a, one, you're in, a, you're in a much better position, obviously. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, is when I say it, it was closer than 28 nothing. I think that's, you know, maybe more of a... You could say variance free. You could t- say you take out the swing plays, um, whatever it is. But now, obviously, the elephant in the room that I think probably people are going to be shouting at us through their their headsets at, about is is well, seventeen three isn't good enough for this Oregon team. Um, I completely agree with that. By the way, yeah. Uh, you look at wh- why was again. You said you know the defense was pretty good, and Mario said this in the post game. Um, they weren't put in a very good position, but they were fine for for stretches of the night. Um, what was wrong with the offense, right? Uh, I mean, that, <laughs> a lot was wrong, but I think the big thing was, and and I will say again, we did stress this stuff in the um, in the preview. So the, I mean, we all know this stuff. It's been obvious to everyone. We're not geniuses for figuring it out, but Oregon is horrible on offense when they get behind the sticks and actually pretty good when they're ahead of them so you look at the first drive what derails that drive well it's a you know second play second nine false start starts it you can pretty much throw away the drive right there folks was um, that the first play in comp- uh no, oh, no travis die right. runs for a yard <laughs> yeah um yeah, i guess the thorn could run yeah <laughs> yeah Next play, next drive, you get it down to the Utah 21, a first and 10. Oregon's offense is actually moving the ball pretty well here. Um, and then you call the reverse play with Chris Hudson, oh, second and 19. That drive is pretty much killed there. And and so here's the thing is, is you have two solutions to that, right? Either you don't have the play or you're able to make up for negative plays. And I think... It's just a design, a flaw in the nature of this offense is that there's no margin for error. You can't get an explosive play when you need it. 
Uh, you can't get a ch chunk yardage to come back and, and get back ahead of the sticks after you get behind them. Um, and we can keep going through these um, drives where it's kind of like specific plays that cause it to fall apart. The third drive for Oregon. <laughs> the um, sack in, in quotes. Yeah, the sack. at the, <laughs> Yeah, where, where, where Anthony Brown gets in a tough spot, tries to go outside of of Tafua and loses his footing. Even that though was it was bad obviously that he took the sack. I'll say two things about it is one offensive line wasn't great obviously on it. Don't really want a guy in his face, but you should handle it better. But two, I think I felt fine about it because it was like okay, you know, you got you have a chance to pin them deep um potentially and and you know, have the defense go out there and get a stop, which obviously didn't happen. But um, anyways, next drive, uh, offensive holding call yep. call on Moore. George Moore. And this is when you are first and 10 at the Utah 14. This feels like a drive that Oregon should absolutely score on mm -hmm. uh, based on everything we've seen from them this yeah, season. Right and if they the, do that... The big play to Chris Hudson. Yeah. Yeah, and and if they do that, it's gonna be fourteen seven with two minutes left. Um, and if your offense just kind of, well, if your defense goes out there and just kind of hangs around, they have a good chance to stop them. Uh, I think that that didn't happen, and it, and it was in part probably because uh, Utah just smelled blood at that point. I think you know. Mm -hmm. um, and especially because it, it ends up in another missed field goal. Um, they were just, the, that place was on fire and they were ready to deliver a punch. Um, kind of, you know, they were, they were establishing on the ground. The other thing was just our coverage wasn't good at all. Um, left open seams and, and Keithy, their, their star tight end proved to be kind of a matchup disaster in that facet of the game. Um, and we've seen Oregon allow for those medium passes a lot under DeRuiter this year. Mm -hmm. And it's been okay in some moments. Um, it, it proved to be a successful game plan at Ohio State. Um, but Keithy just re really took advantage of that all night. Yeah, and something else I want to highlight with that is uh, the missed tackling, man. I mean, how yeah. many instances do we see where like, okay, you know, you tackle for a shorter media, you make the tackle for... A, a negligible short or medium gain and you live to see another down instead like on that keithy big play and many many other plays last night like you make the tackle and you're fine but if you miss one you're in deep deep trouble you miss two you're in really deep trouble uh even the the, the stupid covey return like there's you lose nothing if you just push him out of bounds and Jeff Bossa, who we've been yeah. singing the praises of all season, like just absolutely has the angle and completely whiffs on the tackle on the sideline. Like, again, yeah. I'm super excited for what he's going to do in the future. But last night, man, I mean, I, we're look. I'm looking at the PFF tackling grades right now, and it is just atrocious. Braden Swinson, 17.3. Jamal Hill, the guy mainly guarding Keithy, 27.8. Verone, the leader of the defense, 30. Brandon Dorless, 40. Like, these are awful, awful grades. Christian yeah. Williams, 36. Like, 
Jeff Bossa, 41, like not even 41. This, it's just across the board. We were mediocre in almost every aspect. Um, I mean, straight up bad, like uh, a score of, you know, a score in the high 50s is mediocre, according yeah. to PFF. Yeah. Like <laughs> these guys <laughs> hanging out in the 40s and bad. below. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's it is a lot of mediocrity for those wondering on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you put it up that, you know, uh, the quote from Chris Ball and this one of the things we talked about on the preview that that I love talking about is it like every week. Fo- <laughs> yeah. Football's about blocking and tackling. You read the tackling grades, uh, blocking grades, not not, much, not better. much better at all. Um <laughs> Jared Miller, who split split reps, really sticks out. Unfortunately, uh, split reps at at guard, I guess. Uh, or did he come in at tackle for Sala? I, I honestly I, forget at this I point. Think it was, um, I think it was tackle. I don't know, man. Um, regardless, ten point four uh, in pass blocking God. on sixteen reps. So that's a pretty big sample slice that you need to be better on. Um, Sala forty two point five. TJ Bass, 54.1. George Moore, 37.6. These are for pass blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, Forsyth, 57. Stephen Jones, 64.7. Best of the group. Um, but, I mean, just really bad. Uh, run blocking grades are a little better, but, I mean, they're they're all pretty much stuck the in the <laughs> stuck in the high 50s. And, yeah, we didn't didn't have a chance to, to run the ball really and for people who might um, be shaking their heads at this kind of stuff like we know pff is far from perfect i mean we were even looking right now i mean they got some like snap counts and stuff like stuff doesn't really add up um but i think the most trustworthy stats grades they put out each week are for blocking and tackling just because i mean yeah a missed block is a true. pretty obvious missed block and a missed tackle is a pretty obvious missed tackle right you don't have to guess if like someone made the if AB made the wrong RPO read or something like that. Uh, yeah. Or like earlier we were talking about like the the run defense grade against Ohio State wasn't great. Like that was kind of a stupid grade when you know we did well. Like individual blocking and tackling pretty pretty sturdy uh, when it comes to PFF. So um, yeah, just keep that in mind when we're just reading off these stats. Like. The biggest one for me that we haven't mentioned yet and that I meant to say earlier was uh, Utah entered the red zone five times, scored five times. Oregon entered the red zone three times, zero points from those three trips to the red zone. Our only points of the night, obviously, were that throw over the top to Devin Williams where Utah blows a coverage. Uh, yeah. Like, this this game wasn't even... Like, I think... I don't know. I'm having a tough time deciding whether this was, like... More so Oregon shooting itself in the foot repeatedly or Utah just being the better team, like, consistently. And I think I'm leaning towards Utah. Like, the Utes were just more ready to play. And, yes, the injuries did affect Oregon a little bit. And, I mean, like I said, we missed on all three of our red zone chances. But, like, come on, man. It's a combination, really. But I think more so Utah being good, as you said. Yeah, I think we, I mean, we've seen some of these things from Oregon before. Um, it was a lot of the same stuff that popped up, especially on defense against against Oregon State last year. Um, I felt like at least it reminded me of that game a bit. Um, but I think Utah's good. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things I wanted to get to on this. Like, how, how good do you think Utah is? Um, personally, I think that they're playing like a top, 10 
or top 15 team right now. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I would be interested to see, see them play a lot of the kind of back half teams there, whether it's a, a Baylor or, a, you know, maybe an Oklahoma, a, yeah. a Notre Dame, even a Cincinnati. I'd like to see it, um, you know, and uh, a Michigan State. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of close teams in there. I mean, obviously Utah isn't Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State, right, or, mm-hmm. or even a Michigan probably, but... Past that, um, you know, from Arkansas to Cincinnati, um, you know, from from five to twenty, I think that they can hang with all those teams. And right now, especially to, I mean, it was I I think that it's you. We absolutely do need to criticize Oregon for what they did and didn't do, but it's worth saying like a bunch of credit goes to Utah because this was a huge game for their program. Uh, they showed up really well. It was a really, really cool environment to see, honestly, you know, trying to detach myself from being a Ducks fan for a second. It it was genuinely like an awesome college football environment. Um, but uh, so that's all just to say, I think a lot of teams would have really struggled going in there uh, on that night. It felt like it was a good night for them. But yeah, how how good of a team do you think Utah is? I totally agree with you. I mean, I think they could compete with pretty much anybody in the top five or in, in the top twenty five outside of like Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, really. Um, yeah. Again, it's you know maybe you take this as an argument for an expanded playoff. Maybe you don't, but uh, no, I don't. But anyways, <laughs> in terms of on field quality, I mean, I could see an argument. I won't make it though. Uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah, you're right. It was a, you know, it's nice to see the Utes do something good. It's program defining win for them. Whittingham, it's it's their biggest win and probably, like you said, it's probably their biggest regular season win ever. Um, it also says something about like we kind of led with this sort of stuff, but you know, it says something about Oregon when your second loss of the year is a program defining win for another team, like when you get outclassed yeah. on the field and they still storm the field, that, that says something good about your program. Um, so yeah, I, you know, Utah had their day and it is what it is. Like we destroyed their playoff hopes two years ago and then they did it to us this time. Um, I think it's safe yeah, to say it felt both, similar of those, to that. both of those teams would have been embarrassed in an actual playoff. And I say that without even knowing what the playoff field will be this season. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, if, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that stuff is, yeah, I think it's probably true. I don't know. I mean, football is an interesting game in one game sample sizes and stuff. Um, so who knows what would would or would not happen? But I think the more important thing is just like based on these, based on twenty twenty one Oregon and twenty nineteen Utah's performances in those games, I feel like at least it proves just that they don't deserve the opportunity to even be in the playoff mm-hmm. um but that's that's my take on i mean it. deserving is never mind i don't i don't want to get into that conversation <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh i will say that <clears throat> last week we still correct me if i'm wrong reed we i know we said this two weeks ago but last week i'm pretty sure our expectations were still like you know rose bowl is good we will not take the Rose Bowl for granted. You never take the Rose Bowl for granted. 
I see some Oregon fans yeah. doing that. Do not take the Rose Bowl for granted. Like, yeah, if you're in that situation, you are in the top, what, 5% of college football programs if you win the Rose Bowl. Like, please just just take what you have and be happy with it um, if, you, if what you have is a Rose Bowl. Now, the thing I'm very worried about is the fact that uh, we're going to face a team that's out for blood next week in Oregon State. And uh, a lot of the problems that were exposed against Utah might still be there against this this Beaver team. Uh, I'm not sure if you got to watch the Arizona State-Oregon State game right afterwards, um, but I do not like the idea of playing against the Beavers next weekend. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, I think I think one of the things that I I find frustrating on on Oregon Twitter right now um, is there's just kind of a weird weird discourse right now about um, you know oh is a Rose Bowl good enough or not and it's like hey hey everybody you know we have to win two pretty hard games to even get to a Rose Bowl yeah. uh, right now it's Right now, I mean, it's tough for me to say I'd favor Oregon in a rematch against Utah after, oh, after what we just saw. Would not. Yeah. <laughs> and in, and and next week, I think based on what we saw, we have a you know thirty percent chance of or whatever you want to put on it, something around that ballpark of not even getting to a conference championship game. Uh, so this season's not you know it's looking like more likely outcome right now is not a Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um. And I'm glad, actually... And, and we'll see. It's still a possibility, but yeah, what were you going to say? I'm not glad about that. I'm glad that you brought up the 2013 season earlier because this could very, very quickly turn into a 2013 season for Oregon. Um, yeah. Where we have, like... I mean, the playoff wasn't around then, but we had nat legit national title aspirations going into that Stanford game, and by the end of the yep. season, we're winning the Alamo Bowl. Like... Same thing happened in uh, in 2018, by the way. Um, obviously, you end up in the Red Box Bowl then, but but the Arizona both those games actually road trips to Arizona yep. uh, were win or were games that Oregon got absolutely demolished in uh, huge two huge letdown games uh, 2013 and 2018 Arizona absolutely like two of the most head scratching performances I've seen from Oregon ever. Um, I'll also point the good out, news is both the both the well, civil wars in both those years were also extremely competitive, or at least twenty eighteen for mm, a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I was going to say the good news is is Oregon doesn't have to travel to a road environment ever again in the year twenty twenty one. Yep, uh, <laughs> I'm sick of it. <laughs> Autzen next week uh, for senior day, and then we got. Uh, you know, a, a potential bowl game or a trip to Vegas for the Pac-12 title game, but not going to walk into a, a atmosphere like um, like Rice Eccles was on Saturday with this team, with Anthony Brown at quarterback and all of that. Never going to have to do that again. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a, a nice thing. I think probably a sigh of relief for, for <laughs> some Ducks fans out there. Um, Has this been the toughest road slate of all time this season? I'm struggling to think of a tougher one. Yeah, man, it's been tough. It's it's been tough for sure. Like, I think um, going to the horseshoe, our second road game is a loss to Stanford. 
Then you got UCLA, yeah. UW, both tough environments, Utah. Like, there's no easy road games on the entire schedule. Yeah, yep, 100%. Um, it's just so stupid. Some people are, uh, people were in the in the Pac-12 chat just bringing up this stat. Someone tweeted out about uh, Chris Ball's 8-8 eight and eight in road games at Oregon. It's like, it's not that bad, people. It's yeah. just, it's not that bad of a record in road games. It's a road game. Like, yeah. and some of these places are pretty hard to play at. And you factor into that, that, um, you know, 2018 is his first year. Uh, that team is, is still very much developing. So I think he probably, um, what I, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but there probably is at least three of those eight rows, eight, eight road losses are in that year. Um, uh, I know. Arizona at, and, uh, uh, I don't know. There's got to be another in there yeah, somewhere, probably. I'm guessing. Um, but either way, you know, 19, you go, you, you lose only at Arizona State, obviously. Uh, and then 20 was a, just a weird COVID year. Um, and then, you know, 21, yeah, you lose two row games. But look, if you're going to go 10 and 2, which is a pretty good record, uh, or, you know, not, they're 9 and 2 right now. But regardless, it's like, yeah, there's a good chance those two row, those two losses are going to be on the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah anyways um you also said i think I, I think you tweeted this maybe it was somebody else that like if you told me like after week 12 we're nine and two but we beat ohio state i think we know where the two losses are right stanford and utah like maybe you think u-dub is one of them instead but like it's, it seems pretty seems pretty clear just the way it happened that was yeah. so disappointing. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Also, regarding yeah, the man. thing that you brought up, um, people should just be reminded that again, Mario has not lost a home game since 2018 against Stanford, and honestly, like, it was basically a win <laughs> until until a lot of a series of extremely unfortunate events had to occur for that to be a loss. So, uh, yeah, we've got some close calls here and there. Like ASU that year jumps out, uh, like, or I guess that was two years ago, jumps out, uh, the UCLA game last year, again, COVID year. But I mean, we've been pretty solid at home. Like again, really, we really, really solid test yeah. in, in 2020 against Ohio state. But, uh, I don't know, man interesting from a perception standpoint uh let's see what do we, what do we One, got next on this docket here yeah next next thing i wanted to do um was just acknowledge the injury situation a bit um i think we've given a good good look at kind of how we feel about the game um and held this team accountable uh well um and we'll do a little more of that in a second here but i think it's worth acknowledging just what was Oregon up against in this game. Um, the biggest thing in the in the pregame uh, was what happened at wide receiver. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we were supposed you to lose John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, you lose Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red um, to 
two great uh, players. I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to do a, a kind of you know thank you to them now? Do you want to save it for oh, next episode? Yeah. Again, I, I wish we would have led with this like we had in our notes, but um, we can we could splice it back in at the front if you want to. Ah, it's fine. And do it afterward. Okay. Uh, first, Jalen Red. Um, this is a dude who fought every single game. He fought his ass off. You can say that about a lot of guys on this team, but it's not every day that you say that about two guys at the wide receiver position, especially. Um, I mean, so many iconic moments for Red. I think the the one in Seattle is probably the most significant from like a big play standpoint. But wasn't during 2019 he had that stretch of like seven straight games or something with a touchdown catch, like. Again, mm-hmm. both these guys have been with the program, been on the field since 2017. Uh, they <laughs> tail end of the Taggart era, I guess not tail end, but like the entire Taggart era. Um, just guys <laughs> who wanted to go out and compete every single day. Uh, not all, you know, they didn't have the physical gifts that a lot of the guys on the team have now. A lot of people wanted to see him benched earlier this year in favor of, you know, our, our more athletically gifted physically gifted guys but i tweeted this out and i'm certainly going to do it like i am bawling my eyes out when these dudes are announced on senior day um i'm extremely happy that they came back uh to take care of some unfinished business even though maybe that business remains unfinished depending on how you slice it but uh definitely want to give a shout out to those two i mean i I talked about red a little bit johnny johnson has had plenty of iconic moments when you think back to the utah game I mean, even the Arizona State game, like, I think that's kind of a perfect example um, where we had really no business being in that game late until Johnny Johnson decided to catch, like, 200 yards worth mm-hmm. of passes um, and put the team on <laughs> yeah, his back Yeah, ridiculous. Uh, again, just two guys who always gave their all on every snap, every down. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to be exhausted uh, when I'm done crying over them so yeah 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 dude i mean those are those are some tough dudes um they you you spoke really well about you know the big moments for both of them um and i think for me you know they're just yeah it's it is unfinished business i think there's talk about national titles this you know going into this season amongst the team and all of that um, and that stuff's great and, and it's a good aspiration, but I will say, you know, even if it doesn't happen this year, I think that those are two guys that, you know, if, if Oregon ever does reach the top of top of the mountain, it, those are guys I'm going to think about pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, that 2017 class as a whole, um, that that's finally moving out of here. Um, those are two huge guys in that class. Um, and two of the, two of the guys that have stuck around after kind of, you know, some of that class held on and went into kind of role with, with the Herbert and Troy die, you know, four and eight to, to 12 and two Rose Bowl champs, uh, contingent from the 16 class. Um, but that 17 class was, was culture changers at Oregon. Uh, they come in at a pro at a point when the program's pretty down, um, they're a class that isn't ranked particularly highly um, compared to what we have now. You know, they're they're back half of the top top twenty class. Uh, guys like Lenore Graham, 
Isaac Slade, you know, um, Popo, George Moore are still here, but, you know, you have Cyrus is in there, CJ Verdell's in there, Forsyth's in there, and you go down, um, Jordan Scott's in there, Nick Pickett's in there. One of those last names on there is Johnny Johnson. Mm-hmm. Didn't even have a national ranking, according to, to 247 Sports, and, and um, man, what a career he has had. Uh, I think the Arizona State game is, is the game I'll remember, along with the Pac-12 title game. He followed it up next against Utah in that Pac-12 title um, and put on a really good performance in that game as well. Um, but he worked hard uh, the whole time, and, and both those guys thrust into positions early in their career where uh, they had a lot of attention on them, uh, not always positive, as, as most Ducks fans will remember. Um but man, did those two guys mold themselves into really valuable players. And I think that going back in the context of this Utah game, um, their poise, uh, you know, or the absence of that uh, was certainly felt, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, regardless of the on the field stuff, I think just the leadership from those two, having a guy, having guys who'd been in those moments before, um that could have you know redirected things would have obviously meant a ton to this team uh and it was it's hard to know that not only were they not you know playing but also i think they didn't even uh get to travel because yeah because of roster limitations and and with the situation at receiver you got to pack some extra bodies there so you can't afford to have them there i guess um but that's that's so tough. Uh, I'm sure it will. You know, it's always going to be kind of a, a what if for them. But I think for me, it, it, their their impact on the program is so much bigger than than this season uh, or what this game would have been. So I, I think that it's worth acknowledging that. One moment I forgot and uh, needs to be mentioned. I'm sure people were thinking about it when I said his name, Jalen Red that touchdown against Washington, man, in 2018. But I mean, that's one of the greatest catches in like Oregon history. If if we're being honest, Um, that's right up there with like, I mean, older people will remember Pat Johnson better than I will because I wasn't alive for it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Josh Huff in the back of the end zone, like you got, uh, I guess, Jeff Mayo maybe against Oregon State is a big one for people. I don't know, man, but even from yeah, a, or against a, USC, yeah, that one too. From an from like an athletic and just a uh, significant standpoint, it's hard to argue against that one as being like one of the most important. So, uh, shout out, Jim. yeah, and I and, and I'll also say I think um, we've we've mentioned that 2018 Washington game before, but it, it's really tough to overstate the significance of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kayvon's in attendance obviously is a big thing and and I think it's tough to forecast exactly but that recruitment got kind of close down the stretch and and if you don't win that game uh there is there is a pretty decent chance Kayvon isn't a duck um but not only him alone I think just in general the kind of confidence that was um you know brought in the beginning of the Cristobal era Mm -hmm. was really forged in that game um and and in the Stanford game before it went south but I think if you lose if you lose the Stanford game and the Washington game it's tough in 2018 
like we talked about Mario's undefeated record at home since that Stanford game, it starts with the Washington game. Like, yeah. again, we haven't lost a game in Autzen since that. And I'm going to have to start knocking on wood quite a bit now because I've been mentioning this stat too much before the Oregon State <laughs> week at home. But um, I completely agree. I love that you always bring that cave on angle. That's That's something that flies under the radar for a lot of people like me who weren't necessarily paying like as much attention to recruiting at that point um any other seniors we should shout out or maybe we just wait till the next week for for more senior shout outs uh yeah i I think we can wait till the next week and even the off season to do you know more more shout outs and segments like that for those guys and, and whoever decides to leave early um I think that talking about more absences, though, um, here's another guy. We don't know if we'll have him back, but I personally felt like uh, we've given a lot of credit to Dai. Uh, even Cardwell we've liked a lot. I got to say this was a game where would have been nice to have Verdell in my mind. Um, I think uh, there was one play in particular, and I, and I forget exactly when in the game this came, but you'll probably exactly remember it as well. About. I know exactly. Yeah, what you're talking Devin about. Lloyd sticks sticks Travis Die on a probably a third and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's a second and something, but but right in the hole, you know, he's got a yard to gain for the first down, and Devin Lloyd absolutely hit sticks him, stuffs him right there, and push and knocks him back. And it's like, hey, you know, say what you want about Verdell and sometimes not having absolute breakaway speed or or not being super shifty finding the hole that dude yeah that dude's falling forward on that play against whoever hits him in the hole pretty much i think um he's a hard runner you know and and he's gonna he's gonna take a hit and and fall forward and find a way to get that yard more times than not i think um and in a kind of war like this i think those yards would have would have been nice um and yeah, I mean, the receiver room, obviously, we talked about Micah being out, too. Losing those three, you know, three of really your top five. I mean, them uh, and Devin Williams um, and Chris Hudson are kind of, you know, your guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, you know, Franklin's good and Thornton's good, too. But, dude, those are three, those are three big contributors to losing close succession, I think. We thought that Oregon could recover from the Pittman thing, but it was just like, hey, you just slot in, slot in Jay Red, and he's going to be your full time starter at at slot. Uh, that's fine. And it's like, well, now he's he's gone too. So, um, yeah, that that was tough, uh, especially in a physical game like this. Um, those young guys don't just quite get after it blocking in the same way. Uh, or have the experience or, or whatever it is or aren't physically developed enough. You know, it's mm-hmm. not not too much of a slight on them, but it's just there's it, a difference between having a, you know, fifth year war tested veteran there versus having a freshman um, when you're trying to block in a game like this. Definitely. And uh, like you said, I mean, we can point out a few more injuries that had a huge impact. I think more than any other game this season, the absence of Bennett Williams played a massive, massive part in this game, unfortunately. I mean, you think about he kind of became the starting nickel pretty close on. I mean... And a really good one at that. Exactly. Like, maybe our most sure tackler on the defense. Uh, 
he wouldn't have the totals of Sewell, but I mean, the last few weeks we've talked about Sewell having trouble like wrapping up and stuff like that. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, Jamal Hill's been good enough. Happel's been good enough. But when you combine all these things into one, Steve Stevens being out, like just yeah. bodies on bodies not being available. McKinley getting hurt. Uh, I mean, the yeah, game's pretty yeah. much over by then, but McKinley going down was a pretty brutal thing as well. Uh, when you're going out there, I think it, it, I felt that in the second half. It's like, hey, uh, you know, I, I like these guys, but Jordan Happel, Damon David, and Jamal Hill, not exactly our safety and nickel uh, pairing that we were thinking we'd have going into the season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it was it, just it's not good It makes it even around. tougher, though, because we've sort of passed the statute of limitations on using the injury excuse, you know, because we've had so many yeah. wins between a lot of these injuries. And now it's like, yeah. we can't even, we know, the other thing is like, we know our guys are more talented anyways on paper. Like, the drop-off shouldn't be uh-huh. as drastic. Like, it shouldn't really make a difference. It does. It, it does. So, uh yeah. It is what it is. I think another big one is is you don't have Keon Warehouts in there on the inside. Yeah, um, yeah. It's tough to quantify that. You know, it's. It, I think people say, hey, well, you know, Christian Williams is a pretty good player. Um, and I, I agree with that. Um, even, you know, Jason Jones and Brendan Dorless, yeah, of course, it's like, yeah, those – those guys are, are are all pretty good players, but they're they're a little bit better when they have another player as good as them yeah. to split the load. You know yeah. that helps quite a bit. Um, and so uh, not having him and it, and it turns into a point where Christian Williams has to take fifty six snaps yeah. uh, of this of the sixty five. I think like that's not really you that's know exactly Christian Williams is going to be. About. We talk about like yeah. attrition and the defense not getting a chance to recover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, still at, at linebacker, those guys, I think, just got worn down. Uh, you know, Sewell and Bossa played 65 apiece and and yeah. were huge and, and did their part, um, you know, to, as much as they could. Not great. Um, Bossa especially struggled at times for sure. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, you you want some more from from guys who can step in, and and I don't think we saw Brown in this game. You only see uh, Leduc for six snaps. You know, he's just getting back into it, and and Nate Hukalani's out there for six as well. Um, I think a lot, but of I mean, towards the end of the game too, we were rotating yeah, a lot of guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. It's pretty tough. Um, I'll highlight Noah just just especially. There was one play that I thought was kind of a a big difference maker. I want to say this is um, I believe where it's is this at third? Drive? Is this at seven nothing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's it that third sack. drive. Yeah. yeah, third and five. Noah gets a huge sack. Oh my god. Um, just a massive sack. Utah's at their 37, third and five, and Oregon hasn't been able to do anything. This was the moment when I felt, honestly, at this point in the game, I'm like, hey, the defense has done all they can when Noah gets this sack. It's like, we're playing a pretty good offense. Yes, it could have been, you know, could have played better on some points, but you would have liked to get that third nine stop on the goal line, obviously. But it's like, 
hey man, defense finds a way. Noah one on one with Rising finds a way to contain him and drop him for a twelve yard loss. Flip the field so that the offense gets the ball back at the four at the Oregon forty instead. Um, and so that well, all I I say that just to be like. Like Noah delivered this huge performance, and that's the moment when the offense has to come out yeah. there and deliver a drive to tie the game there. If you want to compete, it's like on the road, your defense just after a missed field goal found a way to bail you out and say, here's another chance, guys. You know, hey, on the last one, you got to the 21 and, and shot yourself in the foot, but here, you, you get another chance. Um, and can't do anything with it yeah. you know you, you it, the offense did get into utah territory a bunch in this first half and couldn't get any points from it uh that's where the game was lost ultimately it felt like another injury i mean there are a lot of places yeah but. <laughs> um another injury that makes a big difference in exactly what you're talking about is uh ryan walk and i don't think either of us yeah. expected to be saying this at the beginning of the year um, but yeah. he's this season, I mean, he's been our second best lineman. I think it's safe to say consistently, like that's a big yep. difference having a guy like that out. And again, walk on body, technically speaking, but I mean, if you can perform in the, in the shoe, you're good enough to play against Utah. You would think, um, obviously he's been injured for a couple weeks now. He's a guy who I don't remember what the timeline is, if he's able to come back or not. But either way, we probably won't know for sure. Yeah. Um, if he isn't. Yeah, I so. think he's a potential postseason guy, maybe a conference championship. I kind of forget. But yeah, yeah I think in general, you know, injury bug's been bad this year, straight up. It, it just has been. Uh, I know people don't like to hear that excuse, but it's it's true. Um uh you want to overcome it though obviously um and i also think who knows who knows what the deal is i mean um you think it's probably just you know luck or unlucky uh and and you know freak accidents and whatever but hey man i think that it's it is worth reevaluating whatever it is in this program whether it's you know strength and conditioning a bit whether it's nutrition whether it's your practice routine um you know and hopefully hopefully it's just that we've been unlucky or whatever but this stuff is is it's just really tough to overcome so you don't want to be putting yourself in a position where where you make any of this stuff more more likely than it has to be uh one kind of like term i've sort of been saving in the back of my mind this year was maybe this team is just a quarterback away right i feel like a lot of fans felt yeah. like that like oh yeah. we could just get ty in there like maybe could just be a little more consistent like we're a quarterback away from being like a championship caliber team i think last yeah. night showed us that that is not yet true um it needs to be better across the board not just a quarterback mm-hmm. like, championship teams don't have any of these performances throughout a season um even or like championship yeah, caliber more, teams, more, right? Yeah. Whatever that means to you. Like playoff caliber Mostly, teams. Mostly, yeah. Teams get left out of the playoff for a single loss like this. I look back to that Ohio State team that lost to Purdue, right? Like you yeah. don't get dominated in any game by a team that is worse than you and and make the playoff in any year. So uh, 
You just don't get dominated, period. I mean, if you're yeah. getting dominated by someone, you probably shouldn't make it. But yeah. That's a good point. Well, I mean, I only say that because like but every year Oklahoma gets dominated in the first game of the playoff. So like, I guess that's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Yeah, yeah. No, you're right there. Um, um, any other of these bullet points you want to hit before we move forward? I think... Uh, we can move forward to kind of the the culture problems section uh, that I had mentioned uh, in there. Um, that sounds like a really ominous title. Uh, I, I don't think it's quite that bad, but uh, just to have the discussion. Let's call um, it questions. Yeah, questions. I like that. I like that more. I like that more. Um so once that uh, another one on Cristobal that you see going in this game is is that he's six and one in games of of three point spreads or less either way. Uh, that's been a pretty good thing, uh, constant in the Cristobal era. That that in big games we've shown up. Um, I think that that one loss is the Stanford game as well uh, before this game, obviously, um, was the 2018 Stanford game, uh, if I remember the stat correctly. Hmm. Um, and additionally, an- another thing that we'd been saying a lot about Cristobal teams was they don't get blown out. Uh, it hadn't happened really. Um, uh, you know, ex- since 2019, at least, um, obviously those things, you know, weren't true on Saturday. Uh, Oregon was, a, it was a close spread. Oregon did lose it and they lost it by a very wide margin uh what what does this say is is the chris ball era you know on the decline why is it why did this happen now what's your perspective on that i mean i think about when we ask the crystal ball question i think it's important to remember that this is a guy who was promoted from within the program at the end of a pretty tumultuous time in Oregon history, really. I mean, we talk all the time mm-hmm. about the decline of Helfrich and like Taggart and that whole BS. Like, this program was kind of just stuck with, for lack of a better term, with its dick in its hand, like just sitting around looking at each other, like, what the hell do we do now? You know, we clearly. Well, uh, it wasn't, this is the other part. It's like, it wasn't even clear if he messed up with the Taggart hire. Because, like, things looked like they were on the rise under Taggart before he yeah. just up and leaves. Like, who the hell are we going to yeah. hire to take over this thing? And Is it going to be Kevin Sumlin? Is it going to be Chip <laughs> Kelly? Jesus like, and, Christ, and Looking back on it, those would have been bad hires. <laughs> um, is it going to be uh, PJ Fleck? Which maybe <laughs> is better, but still, I mean... Um, but, I mean, Mario didn't just, you know, he wasn't just a hire, like, from somewhere else, right? Again, he came from within this program. He was a guy who the players chose to lead the program yeah. at the time. Um, again, that, I I forgot to mention this, too, but, like, this is where guys like Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson, their impact comes in mm-hmm. a ton. Because, like, again, he was co-offensive yeah. coordinator, like, I would, I don't know this for sure, but I would bet money that like those guys were in favor of him being head coach. Like, you know, yeah, those get... guys and that, that O line was huge too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Hanson, Lemieux. Yeah. And I mean, even the defense stepped up too. Like, guys like Lamar Winston yeah, were advocating right. for him. But like, point being, I mean, 
Mario went from saving this program from disaster to within two years winning a Rose Bowl with a top five ish pick quarterback and a generational like team really. Um, yeah. I mean, when you look across the board, how many of these guys would you wish we still had, right? Especially on defense, yeah. like. Obviously, the 2020 season came at pretty much the worst time for this program, I think. And then, I mean, looking for, you know, this year, I think, is one that in the end we might chalk up to just inconsistent play and injuries, really. Uh, yeah. Inconsistent play at key positions. So, again, it's tough because Cristobal is viewed nationally, and a lot of listeners already know this. He is viewed as a guy who is a top five name in college football, period honestly yeah so, somewhere up there at least i mean it's not five top 10 but yeah yeah I yeah agree like he's one of completely. the he's one of the 10 hottest names easily in college football uh in terms of who the best coaches are right now so again it's a metaphor for this team as well like the expectations kind of got ahead of the i don't know the cart before the horse or whatever the hell you wrote i mean you <laughs> You can throw out any metaphor you want, but you know what I'm talking about at this rate. Yeah. Um, I have faith in Mario. I have complete faith in Mario going forward. I think if, you know, we've already signed him to an extension, but if this is a guy you can lock down for long term, I have no problem with that. It is a lot easier to become a better on-field coach than it is to become a better recruiter over time. And the fact that he can get talent Amen. in the door to Eugene, which is always, again, like we don't just talk about recruiting because it's like super fucking important. We talk about recruiting because it is hard historically to get recruits to Eugene. Um, again, this we talk about it all the time. This program had the most unique rise to power of any program in college football history. Period. Yep. Like it was totally unprecedented. And the fact that we can get talented guys in the door right now, I mean, this, I'm throwing absolutely zero shade to Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson when I say this. Imagine four years from now if we could talk about, like, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton in this kind of way. Like, right. that's going to be an elite team if we can do that. Right. For sure. It's not a, oh, you know, at our ceiling maybe we're an elite team. No, that, like, will be an elite team. Um. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your question. I don't even remember what it was, but that's kind of my whole Mario <laughs> spiel. I think I, I would just echo all the points you made. Um, I Look, I think people will uh, – some people will disagree with this, but I'm in the camp where it's like if, if we can sign Mario to a lifetime contract right now, I'm, I'm there. Where do I sign? Like yeah. I, I think he's that good. I just think – when you, recruiting is the most important thing, and he can do that, and he can, um, he can hire staff really well too. I think. Um, yeah. Deruder ha has been up and down, but Moorhead was a great hire, and I I think Deruder was even a good hire. I think Avalos was a good hire before that. Uh, I think that the position coach hires have been really solid uh, for the most part. Yes, a, a miss or two, but I mean, really have been pretty pretty good. Um, that, those are the most important things. Yes, the clock management and game management can be frustrating, but to me that matters about, you know, a tenth as much as recruiting does. So, like, 
Uh, I, and then the other thing is just um, I had this I had this conversation with with someone in in the Pac-12 group chat again, and and we were talking about Mario, and a bunch of those people are really don't like him um, for some reason. Just just don't think he's a very good coach. Um, think that he people were saying he underachieved in 2019. I don't I don't get that argument at all. <laughs> um, but. Anyways, what I was gonna say is is one of the big conversations was um, people saying people people in the West Coast view Oregon as a really good job um, because they view Nike as so big and and they view it as the only reason we're successful in anything. Um, and look, I'm old enough to remember like we talked about five years ago in 2016, where we had to let go of Helfrich and that staff and those guys who had been here. Uh, going back like 20 years through different ties and all of that and had built this program. Mm -hmm. uh, that was scary as hell. Coaching yeah. searches are not a place you want to be. No. Um, point blank. It is It is not that easy to get the guy that you want. Um, it is, and even sometimes when you do, it blows up. Like that is not a fun place to be in college football at all. Um, and I think one of the things that, that it was focused on was, was, um, someone said, you know, having low expectations is what kills a program. Um, being satisfied with, with stuff that isn't good enough kills a program. Uh, and I think a lot of fans on Oregon Twitter would echo that and say being satisfied with Rose Bowls even is what kills a program. Um, I think it's the opposite, man. I think that never being satisfied, never being able to give credit, never saying that something's good enough or something's successful uh, has killed programs. It's killed USC. It's killed Miami. It's killed Texas. Texas bro. God yeah. damn. Like, like, Texas isn't going to a bowl this year, man. They're not going to make a bowl. Instability murders these programs. And look, I, I, I love Oregon. Um, we both do. And, and it's deep inside us this program but i mean come on you we're not texas like if that stuff can kill texas and usc it can do that to oregon this stuff can go away fast and it almost all did in 2016 if 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 you hire someone where is this program right now you know if if you hire any of those guys even if you hire Chip Kelly, like where where would this program be right now? Mm -hmm. um, we'd be recruiting top thirty classes, yeah. and we'd probably be, you know, we'd be worse than Washington. Even like who knows what we'd be? I don't know, but but it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be what we're at now. We we wouldn't be nine and two and and it, in the play at least for another Rose Bowl. Um, yeah, man. All that is to say, it, the grass is not always greener. Uh, and, and also look, Mario is not, um, he's not Nick Saban when he came to Alabama, right? Mario's not won a, a national title at past head coaching stops. Yeah. He's not been a head coach at this level before. Um, the FIU job, yes, he had, but I mean, that's, that's not what this is. I mean, so, also if you've been following what's happening at FIU, which I'm almost ashamed that I am, um, <laughs> Mario Cristobal is the best head coach in FIU history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, look, you, you said it like you can get better as a coach. Um, that's what I think people want to just, you know, put Mario in a box and say, this is who he is. This is what it's going to be forever. And, and I'm saying, 
look, there are a lot of tweaks that can be made to this thing. And, and there's some really good roots here. Um, a lot of stuff that you can build on. You, you don't get many coaches that walk in the door that you say have a national championship ceiling on them. And I, <laughs> I absolutely believe that that Cristobal does at Oregon. Um, yeah, so so I think that's the most important thing, and and why I think that you you just have to be okay with building this thing for a while. Look at what happened at Clemson, what we compare Oregon to so much. Dabo, you know, puttered around nine, ten wins for, for a good six, seven years there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they had a whole thing called Clemsoning where they lost games uh, on the road in November to conference opponents. Does it sound yeah. familiar, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Um, but guess what they ended up doing? They came out the other side of that a few years later. They got a really good quarterback in there, uh, and they kicked ass, man. They they blew out Alabama in yeah. a national title game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of fans, with the way they're acting about Chris Ball right now, um, both inside this program and in the Pac-12, who are, you know, sound like the same people who probably in, in 2012 were saying, hey, let's pull the plug on Dabo and, at Clemson. Um, yeah, man. So, I, I have another comparison, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Dabo. That's a good shout. Um, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me for suggesting this, but 2016 was the first year of a certain head coach in college football. His name is Kirby Smart at Georgia. Mm. Do you know what Kirby's mm. record was in that first season? I honestly have no idea. Eight and five. He lost to, okay. They lost to Georgia tech that season. Uh, mm. and Vanderbilt, by the way. Um, that's, that's how you know your, your season is going awry. Um, Georgia Tech had a better record than Georgia that year. Uh, since then, I believe they won the, yeah, they won the Liberty Bowl that year. Next season, 2017, we all know what happened in that, in, at the end of that one. Like, again, a team that's like maybe a little bit ahead of where their expectations should be, like even overperforming. Again, in 2019, I would argue Ducks overperformed what they should have been uh, in Mario's second season. Throw out 2020. I don't mm-hmm. want to hear an argument about anything that happened in 2020 for everyone. We continue <laughs> on this trajectory with Kirby. Like It's a similar thing where they're in, in the hunt late in these seasons and just can't get over the hump of that one game they always need to win. Um, yeah. There's always just one game, one or two games that come up and snap at them. And then, you know, yeah, you'll finish the season, like, ranked in the top 10, but what does that really mean? Uh, yeah, their big games. National titles. Their big games happen to be against Alabama, and, and ours is against Arizona State and Utah, but I, I like the comparison. Exactly. Like, <laughs> And, I mean, they drop more games than that, too, like, throughout the year. No, true, true. Um, they've dropped games to South Carolina, and, and they've dropped games to bad opponents, too. Exactly. Like, that South Carolina game was at home. I remember watching that game, like – Big time programs drop these games. It just takes one season where everything clicks together. And it's really, really hard for a lot of Oregon fans to see this because of what happened literally yesterday. But I mean, yeah, it's it's hard yeah. to sit there and look in the mirror and say, like, this could have been, you know, that could have been this season for us. Again, quarterback play more inconsistent than we thought it would be. Injuries way, way worse than we thought they would be. 
and overall just you know the team didn't play consistently enough as a group um we'll probably be able to yeah. add some more things to that list by the time the season is over if a couple more l's show up but um overall man like this is college football like wins themselves are rare and again i i love that you pointed out texas i think of past michigan programs i think of usc now that's a great shout like miami for sure florida yesterday fired yeah. dan mullen like that's a team that's won national championships in our lifetimes multiple of them like these things are hard to come by man um so let's be thankful for what we got and uh as long as you and I are willing to admit that we were wrong about our predictions for this last game, then, you know, we can move on and be happy about it. Uh, yeah. All right. Is that good enough for, for the culture bullet point? <laughs> I think, I think the other thing I do want to touch on um, from this game that that was kind of worrying was, was on the quarterback situation with AB. Um, I tweeted this at halftime and and I think it, for me, it felt a lot like that um, Georgia-Bama um, national title game, this time comparing Oregon's situation to Bama's where where they had to make a switch to Jalen Hurts or from Jalen Hurts to Tua um, at halftime of that game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and why did they make that switch? Uh, I think for a similar reason that, that, it, that we saw the problems with A.B. was... Uh, in that game, Bama was really struggling to to get the type of push that they usually depended on to win games against Georgia. Uh, Georgia was a super physical team, obviously, as as they always have been under Kirby, pretty much. Um, and they were controlling, you know, the line similar to what Utah did against Oregon. And, you know, these these opponents are obviously at different levels, but um, it's relevant nonetheless. And and basically. The decision that Nick Saban had to make was we got a lot of athletes out on the outside and we're not able to spread this Georgia team apart and attack them uh, the way that we need to to have success on offense with our current quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's exactly how this game felt for me. Uh, It it just felt like that spark was not there with A.B. um, And... Uh, I would have been interested if, if Oregon had pulled the plug and, and went to tie. Look, we've had this conversation so many times, though. It hasn't happened. I'd be surprised if it does happen this season. Um, it's worth mentioning. It seems like AB maybe had a wrist thing going on that was briefly alluded to in post game, but whatever it is, we've we've seen it too much out of him to really give it a full excuse, a full pass. Yeah. Um, but on the culture side of things. Uh, stuff was a little dicey, man. I gotta say, um, where the, you know, Devin Williams, um, wears his heart on his sleeve as a receiver, I think is, <laughs> is one way to put it. Um, he gets, he gets a little bit aggressive, uh, and frustrated with some of those points, you know, that get hit me up top, hit me here. Ball should have been there. Come on. Yeah. Um, but whatever I mean, the, it is, the one you're referring to is where it's a simple screen pass, like yeah. out to the flat for Williams, and it just wasn't like the ball was thrown at his feet. And like, like you said, yeah. those are the points when you you need to like make a if you're going to make a decision, that's when it happens uh, for quarterback. Is like yep. when the routine throws are constantly being missed. Yeah, but but for me, it's 
Um, it just felt really weird, man. I, I think uh, I just I just want to make it through this season, all right. Um, you know, I think that the Micah maybe the Micah transfer just just spooked me a little bit. Um, but uh, I think that we do gotta gotta say, you know, how do you get how do you win these recruiting battles? How do you bring these receivers in? Sometimes straight up, it, it's by making, you know, some promises and talking about what you can build somewhere. And, and you say, you're going to get this type of production. You're going to get these targets. This is the type of offense we're going to run. And I, I bet a lot of those pitches didn't look exactly like what Oregon is delivering on the field right now with Anthony Brown at quarterback, right? Yeah. Um, and so that stuff's got to be fixed, man, because it it does cause problems. And especially, you know, people are going to be willing to buy in. Yeah. When, when you're winning, when you're nine and one and you're number three in the country, yeah, people will buy in and and block as receivers and stuff. When you're down by 21 points um, and you're running open deep for a play to change the game or something and your quarterback can't hit you, it gets a it gets a lot more frustrating, um, and I think for me it's just looking at the the body language and all of that, and and it just seemed like, hey man, I think um, yes, AB is is he's a calm guy, he's very mature, but he's just not that good of a quarterback, and he, and he's also just mentally, I think yes, he is mature and he is poised enough in some moments, but. I just don't think he shares the kind of mentality that a lot of these guys are are coming in now and they really view themselves like, hey, I'm a five star or I'm a borderline five star. My, you know, I want to be I want to come in someplace and dominate. I I don't want to just come in and be poised and dink and dunk my way to wins. You know, we're, we're trying to come in with some real for lack of a better term, swagger, you know, and be like 2019 LSU or like old Miami teams or whatever it is and, and come out and, and really do this thing. And I think that a lot of these guys are that good. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what you saw, you know, you, you flash to the future here and it's like, hey, Devin Williams, I mean, we know that guy's good. You look at uh, Chris Hudson was a guy who really stepped up. He had a few big catches in that second half where it was like, uh, oh my God, that, you know, Chris Hudson, wow, you are really taking this responsibility on and and stepping into a big role here with other guys down Uh, and you have franklin and you have thornton it's like these guys are are a high powered offense ready to you know explode and make some highlight plays and have some fun out there uh and they're led by a dude who just you know is is always putting the brakes on it and um and slowing it down and, and just making it harder to really you know connect for some of these big plays um so and I mean, yeah it just felt like, like man we, we need a new quarterback in there um and it'll come next season so i think it'll be all right but it's just like you can't we can't do this forever you're gonna lose some of these guys if you don't switch up this offense two things i want to mention off of that obviously extreme examples when you point out stuff like you know championship winning teams like lsu and the old Miami teams and stuff. Right. But I mean, the point you're making is like, in terms of the attitude those teams had, you went out there to win. How about a team from this season that hasn't even really won anything yet? And that's Ohio State. Like, those dudes play with so much confidence. If you watch, I'm sure you watched that Michigan State game, or yeah. at least like the first yep. quarter of it. Like, 
Actually, I don't even know if I made it through the first quarter. Um, like it, it's just having confidence in yourself and trusting your teammates um, and knowing that guys can get you the ball if they really need to. We had Ohio State fans earlier in the season, like saying they never want CJ Stroud to snap another ball ever again. Like, yeah. And now he's doing this. And now he's a Heisman front front runner. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. Um, so again, don't take what we have for granted, but it's okay to be critical of this team. I like that you mentioned that. Um, you know, there's a difference between what we do when we point out things that went wrong in the game. There's a difference between doing that and just complaining about everything. Um, you know, criticism is not just straight up complaints. We have a yeah. method to our madness here. Um, <laughs> you want to get through the rest of these, uh, kind of things down below and then we'll maybe look at some more short, yeah. short term stuff. I, Oh, the other thing yeah. I wanted to mention about your quarterback point, um, <laughs> the one name that kept creeping up in my mind during that rant of yours was Tanner Bailey. Um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I mean, I just think we got to just see what this thing is with with a tie or Jay Butterfield or I know I know people love Robbie Ashford um, too and whoever it is, I don't care. Um, but someone's got to step in next year and do it. And, and I think that um, luckily, uh, you know. Brown's going to be moving on and it's going to be a real competition in the spring and, and someone's going to have to earn the keys to this offense in 2022 one way or another. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, other, other notes I wanted to say, and, and these are just kind of on, on going back into some of the long-term problems, I guess here. Um, and we've, we touched on some of these earlier in the podcast, but, uh, offensive line was really bad. Um, and I think it was, you know, one of the worst performances that we've had in a while, um, maybe all season probably. So, yeah, what what's the outlook there, man? Is, is this offensive line going to get better? And I think, you know, for me, it starts look at the look at the recruiting, look at the talent, uh, who's coming back. You know, Forsyth could come back. I mean, really, the, this whole group minus. Um, I think Walk is done. Am I right on that, or could he come back too? Uh, um, I, he's not on my chart because he was a walk on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my issue. Um, anyways, keep keep going though. I, these guys, you know, that we have out there, we know the names: Bass, Sala, Forsyth, Jones, Jeremillo. Uh, they're, they're all good. Um, Moore's the one who's gone. Yeah, yeah. Moore's the one who's gone. I just remembered. Um, Anyways, yeah. So, so these guys are good, yes. But, um, but you do want to see that next group come in. Uh, obviously, for those who maybe missed it, Kingsley gone. Um, but what's the dream here? Um, I think that you look at you know Jackson uh, Powers Johnson. He's he looks really good. Um, he's a guy that you're going to be able to trust going forward. You know, if you look at w- what are we going to be like on the O line in 2023. Um, how do we build a group that can control the trenches uh, in the way that we've talked about, you know, and in a way that kind of is able to shut up a crowd and, and you just are able to pound the ball. Um, so there, there are some good guys here. I think uh, losing Kingsley hurts a lot, but I think you're, you're looking at other guys to step up. 
Um, the Calvin Banks recruitment is huge right now. Yes, he's committed. Uh, and yes, it, it seems like he's going to stick with Oregon, but distance and everything, you know, it's just getting him in the program would be huge because he's a potential difference maker. He's a guy who's going to jump off the screen as an offensive lineman. Um, there's other good ones in this program, a bunch of ones that we've recruited that are um, low four stars to, to hire. Bram Bolton's another highly rated name. Um, but that group's got to keep improving um, one way or another because it wasn't good enough on Saturday. Obviously, that was that was one of the big issues. Would you say O-line is the easiest position group to improve with this team, considering we have Mirabal and Cristobal? Well, it depends what list you're – uh, of of positions you're going off of, like I think that just the talent at receiver uh, makes me really optimistic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, I have a lot of faith in Mirabal too. Um, I definitely have a lot of faith in him. Um, Speaking of FIU, some people are connecting him with that job, so maybe just something to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, I, I I'm. I'm super hesitant on that based on Mario's connection there being pretty negative, them basically firing him for no reason. <laughs> I get there's a new leadership and, and, and Mirabal having some ties to Florida and all of that. But I mean, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't know what Mirabal's um, yeah, I mean, dreams are either in the coaching world, but, but worth mentioning. Yeah. Too. Um, the next point you made and that we talked about a little bit already was the defense couldn't get off the field. Like it wasn't just the tackling. There were guys who were wide open. Uh, like you said, and that you wrote down, it's the same shit that we saw against the Beavs last year. Um, yeah. And that's the kind of crap that has to change. Like I trust Deruder. I think he's a good coordinator, but I mean, he's not a Moorhead in the sense that he wasn't the hottest name out there at the time. He was just like somebody yeah. Cristobal saw as an opportunity to like improve what we had already um, in Yates. So, uh, or not Yates. Um, God, what's his name? I, I can't even think right now. Anyways, like point being, I mean that there are some things that definitely need to improve uh on the defense that you can't just chalk up to injuries. You can't just chalk up to lack of motivation or like lack of, I mean, maybe it is like lack of focus. Uh, I don't really know how you have guys that open that consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. On defense, I kind of mentioned this really quickly and I'll just go through it super, super fast position by position. What's kind of the long-term outlook on defense? Where are we at? Um, Defensive line, uh, there's not much next year that's that jumps off the page. We don't have that crazy difference maker. You look at the composite ratings, whatever you want to do. Uh, it's it's some low four stars and high three stars. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Salavea's worked those guys, prepped them well, and all of that. Uh, but you'd like to see us hit on another big D lineman because I'm a little worried what this group looks like without KT. Um, but regardless. Yeah, you, you know, you do have Popo probably back, Dorless probably back, um, and then Christian Williams, Keon Hudson, Jason Jones, Poti, all those guys are, are capable contributors. A lot of good pieces. You just don't have quite the star. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Edge looking a little weird. I think Funa's, you yeah. know, gonna come back probably. Same with Ajax, probably. Swinson's and Mize have have had moments, and and you see a lot of guys that you say, hey, I kind of like this aspect of their game. I kind of like this aspect of this other guy's game. But then you're like, that, you know, but I would not like a lot of improvement players. here or there. Um, yeah, not complete players really. Um, so that's not great. Uh, <laughs> and mind you, that can change. It, it, like again, you can it can change this, totally, but, totally. Uh, yeah, you, know, you don't have Kayvon Thibodeau's walking around all the time. Um, and as yeah. much as a guy like Braden Swinson gets hyped up after a performance like we saw in the shoe, like like you said, we there still needs to be improvement. Um, yeah, to be, like, and we've seen that that's that's starter. maybe a little a little too. We were a little over eager in that maybe for just how far we hyped him up, right? Um, yeah. But he he's a good player, obviously, um, or has potential to be one. Um, linebacker immediately, obviously, you say, well, Flo comes back, Sewell's back another year, that had, looks pretty good. Um, Keith Brown, you hope keeps developing. Leduc, you hope comes back and is good. And I really like the class that they're bringing in this year too. I think Devin Jackson, T.J. Dudley, and Harrison Taggart you pretty much hit pretty well on three guys um, who are going to come in as freshmen. So I like how linebacker looks. Um, ditto at corner, I think. Look, you're probably going to lose McHale, but uh, I think that DJ, Triquez, and Manning have, have all kind of stepped in and shown that they can be capable contributors. And I think that I have faith in those guys to take another step. Uh, and then I'll say last two classes, I like a lot of the takes here. I feel good about 2023. Are we going to be able to field a good corner group? Um, Jalen Davies and Avante Dickerson, I think will be good contributors. Barkins is a bit more developmental, but I like it somewhere. And then you look at the duo out of Lincoln High School, Jaleel Tucker and Jaleel Florence. Those guys are studs in my mind. I think that they have potential to be um kind of Lenore and Graham-esque where they're able to hold this corner room down for three or four years and they're buddies out of out of high school and and kind of maybe share a similar connection to what Lenore and Graham have uh I love that type of presence at corner so I feel good about that uh another question is is safety long term for me um there's just been a few misses in there where it feels like there's a big gap at at safety i mean yeah, um, there's a literal gap in like we didn't take anybody in 2020 that's <laughs> technically a safety exactly yeah so so you say will verone come back will steve stevens i mean it seems like steve stevens probably will come back it seems like bennett williams probably will come back i lean that they all do uh, and those three guys were pretty good. Um, I think Stevens uh, is. Ho- you hope he still improves. Verone, obviously, we know how good he is. Bennett, we obviously know how well he's done, uh, albeit at nickel. But I kind of am yeah. grouping that Jamal group Hill, in here. Same thing. Yeah, um, but then there's the gap, and then it's the young guys. Um, I mean, Bossa right now is at linebacker. Does he switch back? Does he play safety? Does he play nickel? Does he stick at linebacker and kind of? take over the reins once Sewell and Flo leave there. Um, Who knows? But if he's not at safety, what do you have in terms of young talent? All you have is Damon David right now. Mm -hmm. And yes, he's seemed good, and and I feel good about him at one spot. But we just look at the injuries we've seen this year. um, You want more depth than that. Um, And you took two guys this cycle. You have Trajan Williams from Oregon. 
Um, you have Landon Hullaby from Texas, and and you say, yeah, I, I think those are two pretty good takes, but they're they are low four star guys, um, and, and they're good, but um, I, you know, it's just the nature of nature of recruiting. I'm not going to come in here and tell you that those guys are guaranteed to lock down a starting spot in in um you know two years i i just don't i i can't say that once bennett williams and mckinley and steve stevens leave that one of those guys is absolutely gonna be a you know lock-in starter next to damon david so that's what i worry about there's some buzz that that there could be more secondary guys taken in this class whether it's Keontae scott whether it's zeke berry um you know, maybe you circle in on a Zion branch or whatever it is, but, but safety is, is a big thing that needs to be addressed long-term. I think it has a potential to be a strength in 2022, but you look at 23, 24, uh, there's a little bit of a hole there that, that you need a really good one here. If it's not this cycle, next cycle, or maybe a transfer with the portal, who knows? Yeah. Overall though, I mean, yeah, I think that, like you said, the biggest concern has to be defensive line looking forward. But overall, like we're going to have guys step up. We're going to have guys not meet expectations. That's the nature of every single football team that's ever existed. You take what you can get and you move on. Um, I mentioned Tanner Bailey's name earlier. I know he's not on defense, but in terms of bringing a new class together in 2022, we've talked, we've mentioned this before briefly, but it is invaluable to have like your quarterback set and have your leader of the team there especially a guy from the south who's able to recruit other guys and keep that team energy together Um, especially in times like these where maybe the on-field stuff isn't up to standard with the rest of the program um, or what that program aspires to be uh, when those guys do get in the door Um, the next point you kind of put on here um, and it also relates to defense no playoff for kt that's something we mentioned last week a little bit, and that is a really tough pill to swallow. Again, technically not mm-hmm. a senior. Like, highly unlikely this guy pulls a Pey- Peyton Pritchard uh, or a Sabrina or a Justin Herbert. Those are all the same thing, like coming back for your senior year. Um, if you are holding out hope that that will happen, squash it right now because that doesn't happen with number one picks uh, in, in college football. So... Um, I mean, do you want to touch on that at all or should we just keep this thing moving? Oh, I mean, I'll just say quickly, um, it's just a tough pill to swallow. Like you said, I think for whatever reason, program hasn't quite been there yet. Um, and KT's meant a lot to this program anyways, and, and he still has a few games here to, to keep going with that legacy. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, there, there were, uh definitely some nice things about the night well especially the 21 playoff run i guess he was younger in 19 <laughs> but in 21 the nice thing was you know, a lot of times you you know he said hey well what's going to happen when we get in a playoff who knows but hey we, we might have the best player on the field you know and, and that's who knows if that we can going to be able to quite say that in the future um he, he's just a freaky guy who i don't care how well you recruit uh it doesn't really matter when a guy when you have a guy like that who who only comes around every 10 years you can recruit really well but he just doesn't exist to even recruit um more classes than not so uh 
yeah, it's it's been awesome to have Cave on here, obviously, but it, it's it's too bad that he, we won't get to see him in a playoff. It's another thing too, though, where uh, it's a little bit of cart before the horse, right? Like we had the number mm-hmm. one recruit in the like commit to us in a year where we didn't even win the North. That's kind of crazy to mm-hmm. think about. Uh, yep, and it in it the back was of my mind, crazy. Like, it, it felt crazy. Yeah, it it was crazy. I mean, he chose us over Bama. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Um. And, it, you know, it does make me hopeful for the future of, like, who's going to be the next star to do that. Again, it, yeah. we're getting spoiled too early with having the number one recruit in the country. It's very likely that we will never, ever have a number one recruit commit to us again. It is extremely rare for any program to get a number one player in the country that isn't Alabama or Clemson. Or like I'd Ohio like to State. hope someday we will again, but <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciate the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next question, uh, do you want to ask this one? We kind of already answered it. Has Mario peaked? Uh, yeah, yeah, it has Mario peaked at Oregon. I think people have seen it on the thing. I, I mean, look, I, am I going to promise that he makes a that he that he wins a national title? No, I feel pretty confident he's going to make a playoff one of these years. If he doesn't, uh, if he sticks around long enough. Um, so no, I don't think he's peaked at Oregon. Um, this question I really like, and this is a perfect like long-term perspective question. Yep. Um, would you trade positions with any other Pac-12 fan base for the next ten years? My answer is no, pretty easily. Uh, the only, the only program that comes close to that really is USC. And considering the shit that they're dealing with right now, it's a pretty easy no for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, just, I mean, that's just a light positive note uh, to kind of wrap up some of the long-term discussion on. You know, think about it. If you're listening right now, trade positions with any Pac-12 fan base for the next 10 years. Like, that's a pretty big stretch. Yes, just we just got absolutely rocked on the road against utah by 31 yes that absolutely sucked but um where are we compared to the rest of this conference that's going to be our primary competition uh i I think we're in the best spot of all of them going you know in in the near future so yeah i'm i'm with you i think oregon's in the best position right now yes usc could hit a home run and, and take that mantle maybe but um, I'll, I'll take the duck spot right now over anyone's for any Utah fans that filed in the back door to drink our tears during this podcast. Uh, that includes you. You're not that special. This was your biggest regular season win of all time. <laughs> well, I, and, and I think they all, they agree with that. I mean, wit might be done after this year and, and the, the it's uncertain times in Utah, if, if that does happen. So, uh, yeah, again, but, if yeah. you listen to uh, the episode with Greg, dear listeners, last week, he was talking about the window for Utah is rapidly closing uh, to get to a Rose Bowl, which is kind of like their, that'll be their sort of like crowning achievement sort of deal. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. You know, they were a group of five program that, that joined the Pac-12 and, you know, with going out on the high note of winning the Pac-12 is kind of like their ultimate storybook ending that they want. Yeah. All right, let's go short term. Uh, we're approaching two hours already, so uh, thanks for sticking with us. If you still are, maybe you need to like, maybe you've needed to pause it at some point and kind of like take a sip of water and reset <laughs> or something. I know I've done that a couple times already. 
maybe you need to listen to like some donda to clear your head or something like that uh, <laughs> wouldn't blame you how crazy is it that like this is about as long as donda as, as an entire that's <laughs> to think about what which piece of art is better no. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i call this art <laughs> It's a little, yeah, little no, kidding, kidding, of course. Oh, kidding, yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, next week we got to match up with the peskiest of all pesky teams in the world, the Oregon State mm-hmm. Beavers. Um, I don't know where you land on like calling this a civil war or not. I I yeah. don't really care what you call it, to be honest. Uh, but either way, it's the most important civil war since the. 2009, 2009. <laughs> um, probably and that's kind of crazy to, to think, think about because like at the time in 2009 i mean i didn't have a ton of long-term perspective i was nine years old but uh <laughs> considering what had happened in the past few years in that rivalry it felt like it would be a very very important game for a very long time uh mm-hmm. even without like the hate that's built into it but um it's kind of weird that this is like the first civil war that means something of like pac-12 consequence uh really would since then it's kind of crazy um yeah we do have that potential matchup rematch with utah looming i'm not even going to worry about that right now like yeah we can have that discussion when you know if if we can beat oregon state but uh again you watched oregon state against asu they looked like the straight up better team and I know that doesn't mean a lot to some people. Like, for a lot of people, ASU has been irrelevant for a while in this conference this year. But it's not. Like, ASU was favored in this game. They're a legit, talented team. Um, and they, I mean, yeah, they shoot themselves in the foot more than even Oregon does. But uh, I don't know. I'm having a hard time staring down this matchup and not thinking we're in at least a little bit of trouble here. Yeah, I, I think this one is, um, you know, I mean, I, I have some faith in the culture. I, I hope that the team responds after what was obviously a really deflating loss at Utah. Uh, but it's also on the fans, man. Um, this, I'm going to be I'm going to be in Eugene, going to be at this game. Uh, first game I'll see this year. So I'm really excited for that. Um, and yeah, I mean, time to be loud, pick these guys up, send the seniors off, right? All, all that stuff. I mean, it's a big game. Um, as you said, you know, it's, it's for the North. Um, if Oregon wins, they're in the Pac-12 title. If they lose, they are not. Uh, it could, depending on the other results, particularly the Apple Cup with an Oregon loss, it could be either the Beavers or Wazoo. But if Oregon loses, they're straight up out. Oregon knows the task. You know, it, it's a win and you're in, losing you're out. So it's a really big game. Yes, winning the North does absolutely matter. Um Yes, getting to a Rose Bowl and winning the Pac-12 would absolutely matter, and, and winning a Rose Bowl would matter. All those things matter a lot. Um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll preview that game more, I think, midweek, especially given how far we are into this. Uh, it's worth saying the spread is, is at 7, I believe, now. I think someplace it opened at 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that tweet, at least. Uh, yeah, I think it seems like it's well down to 7. Yeah. It, I think it always should have been seven, to be honest. So, yeah, um, that feels about right for what should be a close game. Uh, if there's if there's hope again, as I mentioned, the fans not only for Oregon but Oregon State's been a really different team. Um, 
at home versus on the road. They're, they were 6-0 and at home, I think, um, yep. and have been a lot worse on the road. So it's a little different because it's just a bus ride for them, no flight, nothing weird. They probably stay in their in their same routine at home and everything and just take a little longer bus ride. But um, crowd has rattled them before, so I think you get into it and, and try to make that place as hostile as possible. Exactly. Uh, and one thing I do want to mention, like, don't make it hostile for our players. Yeah, we just, we just like, seriously, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. Like, don't be an asshole, man. These are, at the end of the day, these are college kids. Like, this mainly goes towards, like, don't boo AB on senior day. Are you kidding me? Like, you got to be a real low life to boo your own player on senior day. Like, this is a dude who stepped up, like, tried to make the most of a tough situation for himself, like, coming from Boston College and everything. You were excited yeah. about him literally a year ago. Uh, and now that he's disappointed you a little bit, does not give you the right to boo him. Uh, you know, if you don't want to cheer, whatever. If you want to just stand there and clap or do nothing, fine. Don't fucking boo the guy, you idiots. Jesus. You trying to make us lose this game? Like, you really think that's going to help him play any better is if you boo him before the game starts? You gotta be a real low life to do that crap. So, mini rant over. Uh, enjoy your day. You know, like Reed said, yell your ass off to beat the beavers i'll be doing the same thing um and yeah man this is going to be a good old-fashioned uh old-fashioned little in-state rivalry here so yeah yeah you got um, any you got any I, like good favorite crowdsourced names for the new rivalry like or new names for the old rivalry like platypus cup i've heard i, I don't really know how i feel about that one i don't want to give a trophy out dude I, that's such big 10 stuff i, I don't really but the I Big Ten really like that fun. very much. <laughs> no, I, I yeah, I think it's fun. I just think it's like a Big Ten thing. I just don't okay. think it's like our, you know. I I think it's fun when they do that, but it's like I'm not play for an old bucket and stuff like that. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the the i five something incorporating i five that still feels a little like yeah. wishy-washy. I don't know the the Civil War was really nice if I'm being honest and. Uh, again i haven't done my due diligence in researching exactly why it was like the exact reasoning for getting rid of it but like i mean if the players wanted that which i know they did then sure like yeah. dennis dixon arguing the board is good enough for me so uh anything else man Nah, i think we're i think we're good i think we we pretty much talked through it all in this this two hours yeah it was a healthy one for sure um sweet all right again cheer on your ducks uh be happy that you're a part of a competent football program or at least a fan of one and uh enjoy your life happy thanksgiving by the way, too. Uh, yeah for those who partake and good night and go ducks go ducks <laughs>